Praise the Lord. Praise God. He is good. And his mercy endures forever. God is awesome. This is a nice surprise, huh? Didn't know I was going to be teaching sonship. <laughs> Praise God. How you doing, my brother? God bless you, man. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord, man. This was uh, God's move. God's move. <laughs> I received that. Amen. Hey, yes, ma'am. Because <laughs> that's exactly who we're going to have to hear from. <laughs> Man, God is good. Uh, Lee, I dropped this on a little earlier. And it's just an honor uh, because this is where, this is the class where a lot of people got changed and they started their growth. To have the opportunity to speak in this forum is just phenomenal and exceptional. And I just thank God because. When you choose God in your life, there are so many things that come, not only blessings, but there's honor. And when I say it's such an honor to stand before you in this class, man, God is great. I remember this is the first class I came to uh, when I got, when I decided I was already born again, but I had to decide to follow Christ. And tonight's class is going to be about being a disciple or making disciples. So, you know, you can be a believer in Christ, but not a follower. You can be a believer in Jesus and not a disciple of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We have to make the choice to, like the word says, take up your own cross and follow him. We have to make the choice to leave all of the things behind and follow him. See, God is good because. The revelation that we receive, remember when Peter, when Christ was asking the disciples, you know, who do they say I am? And they would say, some say you're a prophet. Some say, you know, you're Elijah that came back or all these different guys. And he said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up and he said, you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, flesh and bone has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. So when that, when you receive a revelation from heaven, or a revelation through the word of God, or revelation from Jesus Christ, a revelation through a word of knowledge, revelation through prophecy. It is not mere flesh and bone that is revealing these things to you. But it's God in heaven through the Holy Spirit, or God in heaven personally himself, through an experience with him, who's revealing these things to you. And in that revelation, that's where your life will be changed. Because after that, he said, Peter, upon this revelation... I will build, build my church. So what is God going to build upon your revelation on him for the world yeah. or for the people around you? What is he going to do with that revelation if you take hold of it, if you grasp it? So let me pray and then we'll get started. It won't be a long teaching. Um, we'll see what the Lord does. But, man, let's just pray. Let's just usher in God. God is already in this place. And let's just invite him and give him full charge. So, Heavenly Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Will you just come and be with us, Lord? Thank you that your presence is here. I thank you that you say that when two or more are gathered in your name, you're here in their midst. And Lord, I thank you that it's through our praise and our worship is how you manifest yourself in our midst. So, God, I ask that you do your will tonight. I ask that you speak through me. Let me be your vessel. I ask that the words that I speak through you are edifying to the hearer. It is useful. It's profitable. And that the master is glorified. I ask that you be glorified in all things, in all words, all actions, and everything tonight. And I ask that you just open up and release freedom on souls to speak truth, to speak transparency, and to be open to receive God's word tonight. So we love you. We thank you because you are the God of all. You're the Lord of all. And you have dominion and power over everything. So we love you. We give you praise. We give you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you bring me that uh, phone, Kimberly? I'm going to take that. I'm going to turn that ringer off. 
So how many of us believe we are disciples of Christ? <laughs> it's okay. This is a safe house. This is a dressing room. It says, for lack of knowledge, we perish. Right? So you have to know that you know that you are a disciple. If you don't know, now is the time to get knowledge of how to become a disciple of Christ. So the enemy cannot step in and pull you away from him. Okay, the word disciple means one who learns and follows. Are we learning from Christ? Are we spending time with him daily? Nightly, the words that you should meditate on this word day and night. Are we doing that? Not merely reading, but meditating on the revelation God has given you, the word God has given you. And after you have learned from Christ, are you following him? Following him is to take action in what you have just learned. Okay? It says not merely be hearers of the word, but be doers. Okay? Kirk, I hate to run you back and forth, man. I'm going to need that music down just a little bit. Okay, so now we have to know. A disciple is one who learns and one who follows. Okay. And if you want, man, you can just stay back there because I'm going to need some scriptures. <laughs> I tell you, God is good because when you submit to his process, he rewards you when you submit to it. I got a, a text from Gene. I think it was yesterday morning. And this is what it said. It was a picture. It said, fall in love with the process and you can fall in love with the results. The results are what we're looking for. We want the results of Christ's life manifested in our life. That's what we really want. But a lot of times we don't want the process of it. We don't want to go through the process of death, burial, and resurrection. And the only parts we don't want to go through is death and burial. Because we come so close. We learn the old man's ways. We grew up with them. It's something we don't want to let go. Thank you. We're familiar with it. And when we got to bury that thing, it says, I don't know what to do next. How do I live? How do I progress in life? What am I how to make decisions this way, that way? But God said, I'm giving you a new way of thinking. I'm giving you my mind, which is the mind of Christ. So if we fall in love with the process, it will be easy to obtain the results and be in love with them. The process is easy, but it's not because <laughs> you make one choice. The word says you either for me or you're against me. So, as a follower of Christ, you have to be so set on him. It's not a playing back and forth. It's either you're with him or you're against him. Plain as that. So, in that process, God's going to do some new things. He's going to change your way of thinking, your way of looking on things, your way of doing things. He's going to create the man that you're supposed to be or the woman that you were supposed to be from the entirety of life. From where he knit you in your mother's womb, he spoke his truth to you, and you agreed to the plan that he had for you in his life, in your life. Okay? So we must fall in love with the process. The process is something that cannot be abandoned. If you came in here, you just signed up for the process. But the process has something so beautiful. It's a relationship with not only the Holy Spirit, which we're all familiar with but with the Son and with the Father in heaven. And the Son, he has his own realm of love. He has a saving love. He comes and he rescues us when we're in our trial, when we're in our tribulation, when we're having hardships. And the Father has a different love. His love is an abiding love, a love that rests on you, a love that changes you, a love that you know that is different from all of the loves. So when you have a relationship with those two loves, the rescuing love, a relationship with the one who came from heaven to give us life. And then the one who sent our Savior, our life can now begin to really change. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our guide. He's our guarantee of our success. And Jesus is our brother. He's our Savior. And God the Father, he is our daddy in heaven, the giver of all good things. So don't you want to have a relationship with the triune God? 
That's what we want. Not just one piece of him, but all three. That's what Jesus came for. That's what he died for. All right, can I get Luke 14, 26? And if you have your Bibles, man, we can go old school. If you got the Bible app, you can bust it out. I highly suggest getting the Bible app on your phone because the Bible app has some versions where it will recite the Bible to you. And you can play the Bible in your ear constantly. It's really cool. Uh, I believe it's the Amplified. Luke 14, 26. The word says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother in the sense of indifference to or relative to relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude towards God and likewise his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters. Yes, even his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. God just straight eliminated every excuse we had. The closest thing we could have an excuse to not following him. Saying, well, my daddy don't believe this. My mama don't believe this. My children, my wife, my brother, the people we know the best. And how many times do you know when you truly decide to follow Christ, it's your family that's going to say, man, you have lost your mind. What are you doing? I don't know if that's God. <laughs> I don't know how many times you can hear that. I don't know if that's God. But God said, if you don't, if you love them more than him, you're not worthy of him. It says the disciple must subordinate all earthly relationships to loyalty to Christ. So everything that is on the earth, flesh, blood, material things must come subordinate to a relationship and loyalty to Christ. To hate family is not a command or a statement of fact, but a way of expressing the importance of allegiance to Jesus. The word hate is used here to emphasize that your love for him must be so great that you can't even look to anyone else. You can't hold on to anyone else. You can't abide in anyone else. Okay? The word discipleship means total reunification of all selfish interests and maximum realization of Christ's purpose for our lives. Are we in discipleship now? We're disciples, but are we being in discipleship? Are we learning of Christ? Are we moving with him? Have we disregarded all selfish interests and maximized the realization of Christ's purpose in your own life? We have a lot of selfish interests when we grow up. We have dreams and desires. We have wants. We have needs. But God has all that covered. Will you still focus on him? Will you give him your every desire? There's a song that we're playing here. It's, it's by Kimberly. It's by Kim Walker Smith. And it's talking about Austin Rawl. And she was talking about, I even give you back the dreams that you gave me. I even give you back the desires that you gave me. Because I'm surrendering everything to you because I want all of you. So we must maximize the realization of Christ's purpose for our life. Are we maximizing the realization. Are we maximizing the ideal, the thought, the truth of God's purpose in our life? And the struggle sometimes is we don't even know what that purpose is. It starts with the relationship. That's how we'll, we will grow to know. And we grow in relationship through the word, through confession, through prayer, through worship, praise and worship, and communion with God. Okay? So we have this thing, we have a sanctification packet, and it takes you through this whole process of being sanctified unto the Lord. And I look at it as a, a relationship builder. It's like a, a thrust into a relationship with Christ because it, it gives you instruction on what to do when you first get your day started. Um, it's an excellent packet if you guys want, you can get it. But worship is so important, not only for this house, but for the body of Christ because prayer gets God's ear. But worship gets his presence. And in the, in the body, we've learned about prayer. But have we really gotten a deep understanding of what worship is? If you can get God to come where you are, his peace is there. And if you have his peace, you have his highest level of authority, which means there's nothing that you cannot overcome in your circumstance, in your situation. He's already conquered it when he's right next to you. And the truth is we must walk in his presence 
We must, we must walk in his peace. When we can do that, there is nothing that Satan can take from us. That fear can grip us because God is in us and God is on us and God is with us. Okay. Can you give me John 8, 31 and 32? So worship, we must get into worship. Worship is the practice of edification, singing praises to God with our lips, with our voice. It's, edific- it's edifying God. That's praise and worship. And this is a chart we have on praise and worship right here. So you start off in praise. So you have songs that are upbeat where you're clapping, you're singing loudly, you're just giving your all to God. And that's where the Holy Spirit is helping you get to Jesus, as you can see on this chart. And you know you're really pushing in through praise because every thought that is contrary to God is coming to your mind. Everything. Your bills. What I'm going to eat for lunch. I ain't got sleep last night. I want sleep tonight. Everything is coming to you. But as you press through with praise, it's a relentless praise. I, I, I found out that the harder you press in early, the quicker you can get out of the first realm of praise, which is giving your all in spirit, soul, and body. So that's in my actions. So if I'm praising God with all I have in me through my tongue, it's going to be easy to transition into praise and worship. And when praise and worship takes over, Christ is coming to sanctify you. Because he's getting ready for you to meet the Father, for you to see the Father, for you to be around the Father. And God wants to be around a pure vessel. So in that sanctification, through Jesus, in praise and worship now, now we're going from a a high praise into a tempered kind of a worship. So it's still upbeat, but it's going into like a realm where there's peace that's about to fall on you. But you still want to give your all. And Jesus is actually taking over in that time. You can feel him come and fill your body. And he's going to start taking over and he's going to push you into pure worship where he's going to have, he's going to worship God the Father through you. So after he sanctifies you, you're going to come into a realm of pure worship. That's where I've noticed where you'll be singing, but you won't even know the words. You'll sing the words, but your mind will be solely on him. It's an interesting thing how your mind can still be in your body. But your soul and your spirit can be worshiping God like you're focused on God, but your, your lips and your your mouth are still doing those things. And there's going to be a peace that comes. We call it the glory. We call it his presence. And when that peace comes, you know, father's in the house. When his rest comes, you know, daddy's in the house. And then true worship is laying prostrate before the Lord. Which is laying out flat, face to the ground, kneeled before him. And then you can hum in that worship. You can, you know, sing light praises to him or like light hymns. I don't even know how you would explain it. But that's when the rest comes. God has already taken over. He's worshiping through you. So I've learned that through worship, that relationship can be built because I can learn who somebody is if they're right next to me. I can ask them questions. I can be honest. I can be transparent. So if he's right next to me, I can learn of who he is. And he'll speak to you and he'll say, read this scripture or... He'll give you a scripture. You won't know the Luke, whatever, whatever, but he'll say something to you and you'll look it up and say, wow, that's a scripture. And then God's going to start teaching you. Worship is very important. All right, John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to those Jews who have believed in him, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciple. (laughs) Are we really abiding in his word? Do we believe that his word is true? That's logos and that's rhema word. That's written word and that's revealed word. Do we believe that it is true? It says you are truly my disciples. If we hold on to those teachings in his word. And then then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I thought this was very interesting. I was reading this the other day because people just recite, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Have you noticed that when time to speak truth comes, if a person is not abiding in Christ, it increases their bondage because they are not a disciple. 
You have to be a disciple for the truth to set you free. Have you noticed when somebody's coming against you and you're not probably maybe not have been in the right realm and they start telling you the truth and you reject them like, I don't want to hear that right now. You ain't getting set free. You're getting held in bondage. But the word is saying, if you are God's disciple, if you're Jesus' disciple, when the truth comes, it will set you free. But if you won't, if you're not a disciple, I believe it can hold you in more bondage. And I'm not saying that that's true for every statement, because sometimes there is an opportune time for the truth to come to break the bondage that Satan has placed on people's lives. And then Christ will start the process of making you a disciple. All right, can you give me 2 Timothy 3, 7? We need that truth. We need that truth. These weak women will listen to anybody who will teach them. They are forever inquiring and getting information, but they are but are never able to arrive at a recognition and knowledge of the truth. Yes, ma'am. Oh, oh, First Timothy three seven. I'm going to go to it real quick in my. Cameron, can you go to 1 Timothy 3 7? Right. Thank you, Ms. Sheila. I was like, I don't know how to teach on this, but let's just see. <laughs> let's see where this goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, let's, let's see where this goes. <laughs> it says, furthermore, he must have a good reputation and be well thought about those outside of the church, lest he become involved in slander and incur reproach and fall into the devil's trap. Yeah, you got to be a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're going to have a good reputation in the church and outside the church. And it looks like it's saying if you're not a disciple, you can't become involved in slander. Oh, and incur reproach and fall into the devil's trap. I believe you're going to incur slander when you really become a, a disciple of Christ. But the thing I don't think what you're going to do is you're not going to fall into the devil's trap because you're going to know the master's voice. You're going to know his truth. So the devil won't be able to entrap you in things. All right, let's go to the next scripture. John 8, 51. We're almost done, family. Oh, never mind. <laughs> All right, John 8, 51. I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, if anyone observes my teaching, lives in accordance with my message, keeps my word, he will by no means ever see and experience death. I think this is a great promise. We're keeping God's word, his message, if we live by it. When it's our time to go, we know we can experience it. It'll be a blink of an eye, we're gone. We're going to be staring at the face of Jesus. But I think that's a promise. It's an if. It's a condition. If we're living in accordance with his message, his truth, the gospel, if you're, if you're keeping his word, only way to keep his word is to know his word. And the only way to know his word, you have to read his word. You have to hear his word. But that is an excellent promise, and it should be an excellent motivational tool for those who don't want to experience a painful death. It doesn't say how we will die, but we all know that we're going to die. And let's believe that we're the generation that, means, that brings Christ back so that we won't really experience death. So when we see him in the sky, we're going up right there, right on the clouds. That should be our, that should be our, like, our driving force for pursuing God, which is one of mine. I want to be the generation that brings Christ back. I want to be a part of that generation. And, you know, you go around and you, you speak with people that have been in God and the thing or, you know, churches, they say, yeah, we're just getting people to heaven. We're just sending people to heaven. And I just laugh in my mind. say, yeah, that's good. But are you getting heaven to come back here? Are you bringing Christ? Are you going to get Christ to come back? It's more than just getting people to heaven, man. It is. Let's get people to grow up in him so he can come back. All right, what are we at? John 15, 7 and 8. 
So to never see or taste death means we'll never feel it, we'll never experience it. If you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you and continue to live in your hearts, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. When you bear, produce much fruit, my Father is honored and glorified, and you show and prove yourselves to be true followers of mine. So it's two things to these two scriptures. If you're living in Christ, you're abiding completely in him, and his word is remaining in you. There's There's scriptures that talk about the word falling on good ground and bad ground. That's how you can see if the word is being, is remaining in you when you receive the word. And if the word remains in you and continue to live in your heart, you can ask whatever you will. So the word has to remain in you and has to continue to live in you in order for you to ask what you will and for it to be done for you. And then it says, when you bear or produce much fruit, which is what you've asked and what you've received, my father is honored and glorified. So God is honored and he is glorified when you bear much fruit, which can be the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of your receiving. And it says you will show and prove yourselves to be my true followers. We are seen to be Christ followers by the fruit that we bear. Whether that's the fruits of the spirit in Galatians or that is the receiving of the promises that God has promised to us. That's how we are as disciples, keeping his word, letting his word, his word live in us and God being glorified in our receiving. All right. Can I get John 15, 10, please? And the next one after that would be 15, 12. All right. The word says, if you keep my commandments, if you continue to obey my instructions, you'll be able, you will abide in my love and live on in it just as I, just as I have obeyed my father's commandments and live on in his love. So if you keep God's commandment, you will abide in God in Christ's love. And then if you live on in it, just as he has obeyed his father's commandments, he lives on in his love. So it's two of that, two of those things. You'll live in Christ's love and you'll live in God's love just as Christ did when you obey his commandments. That's how his love, his love, what you're walking in, what you're experiencing is what you would know that you're God's disciple. And you can feel God's love at any moment. You don't have to be in a church setting to experience God. That's a myth. That's a, that's a tale. You can be at home. I spend a lot of time reading at home, or a lot of time worshiping at home, or a lot of time just meditating on God at home. And God can just come in right there. And you can experience his love. And then you can really get to the place where his love is just bellowing out of you and you want to do things. You're just constantly thinking about what is on God's heart, what's on God's mind right now, what's on God's soul. And that's God's love working through you because you have laid yourself down. You're no longer concerned about yourself. You're concerned about what his will is. And then his love can start flowing through you to people around you. And that is a beautiful thing. Let me get John 15, 12. I love this. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How has Christ loved us? I spoke about this some weeks back. How has Christ loved you individually as a person? It's tough to put words on that. Some of us have truly encountered some bad situations in our life. Unknowingly, not purposefully, and some purposefully, making just bad choices. But how has God, Jesus, came and rescued us out of that? How has God's love shown up and has brought us out of that torment? We all have our testimony, but you really should listen to this. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. How has Christ loved you? And I got some bullet points that talked about how he loved us. He laid down his life so we could live for him. His love does no harm. He's never hurt us. Where it says, if you live in me, my words live in you. Everything and anything you ask for will be done. He's loved us like that. Man, I remember when I first came to Christ. How many know you have an experience right after you get born again with God? And God the Father is just blessing you. He's showing you his love, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, everything. I was in high school and I moved from Germany to Virginia. And the whole thing is about 
uh, American athletes overseas is that they'll never be able to compete with the regular high schoolers. So when I came back, I was a basketball player and I wanted to play varsity. And I was in the 10th grade and it was only like juniors and seniors up there. I prayed every day. I said, Lord, I want to be on varsity. I want to be a varsity player. I want to do all this different stuff. I don't even know if I remember asking about starting. So I started the season in JV and it was like, I was just dumb, like, I wouldn't say me, but <laughs> through my relationship, I was demolishing the guys my age. It was like I would have like 20 rebounds and a half and, you know, maybe 20 points and a half. And I was just, we were destroying every team in, in our city. And I just kept praying out there. I never got promoted up to, to uh, varsity. And I said, Lord, man, I, and this is the time when I first came to Christ. Man, I was reading the word as a 15 and 60 year old. Man, I was just devouring it. And God was answering all my prayers. He was answering all my prayers. And I was just waiting for that one thing to come. Now, I remember one game, the coach told our JV coach, he said, don't play CJ very much. I want him to play. This is like on the spot. I'm going to bring him up to play varsity this night. So the coach played me for like a quarter or a half. And again, I had like a tremendous game, like maybe this wild numbers. And he had me play in the varsity game. I didn't start in the varsity game. I, I came in in the third quarter. In the third quarter, I had like 15 rebounds and I had like three blocks. And it was like I was in the paper because the game came down to like the last minute and this guy was coming to the to the rack. I don't know if you all, all watch basketball, but I'm watching it in my head. And I'm just thinking about the opportunity God gave me. His love, man, his blessing, all those things. I just remember this guy coming. He threw up a floater. And I, I'm, I, was, I wasn't a big guy like this. I was a slim, you know, kind of athletic dude. He probably threw like the highest shot in the, I don't, can't even imagine it. It's like it'd be a movie. And I remember going up and I just blocked it. And everybody in the, basically the crowd went bananas. They had it on video and everything. And I remember that night we won that game and we went to the locker room and all the team, my entire team embraced me. I never, it was wild. It's like everybody ran to me. It's like, oh my goodness. And they just loved on me, man. It was the craziest thing. And it was just, you know, I don't know, you know how boys are like shaking up, like messing with your head and stuff like that. And I was just so, I was like, oh man, God gave me this opportunity. I prayed and he let me play on varsity. The very next week, I was uh, starting as a 10th grader. And then I was, I led the region actually in rebounding for the rest of the time I was playing. Until we got to the playoffs, I had like maybe five more games, but I was averaging like 15 rebounds and stuff like that a game. And Man, it was, it, was quite a, it was quite amazing, but the one thing I really wanted, because the challenge for me was I didn't want to be one of those players and that came from Germany, American high school in Germany, that came to the United States and couldn't compete with the other guys. I don't know if y'all know the area was Alexandria, Virginia. So that's a big area for basketball. That's a big area for sports in general. And we already came, me and my brother was able to come and compete. I'll never forget that. I also, in that time, I was 260 pounds, the Lord... In the summertime to the fall, or springtime to the fall, I lost 80 pounds. I went from 260 to 180 pounds, which was my reason for I went to dunk. All this transpired when I was uh, seeking God. I was just asking him to change me. I stopped cussing. Uh, literally, I just asked. I said, God, I don't want to cuss anymore. It was like I stopped cussing right then. Man, I was uh, having sex at a young age. I said, God, I don't want to be doing I know that's not right. I, I became celibate at like 16 and or 15 or something like that, and walked out God's plan in that area for some time, and uh, he just changed me. I saw his goodness. I saw his love. And the truth of the matter is, that's what I remember when it was my time to really walk out conversion, truly becoming a disciple. I had something to hold on. I said, man, I remember when God just did all this stuff to me. I remember he just bestowed it on me. And if you haven't had an experience like that, what you ask for, you don't ask for the blessings. You don't ask for the material things. You don't ask for the desires. You ask for God's love. You ask for his abiding love. I want to experience your abiding love. And then God is going to start blessing you. I mean, I remember asking it here. He'll pour out his spirit on you and you'll feel something you've never felt before. And that's going to be joy. It'll be happiness, man. It's just, it's blissful. Okay. If you live in his spirit and his character, everything you ask will be done for you. If you live in his spirit and his character, his spirit, his character is in his word. We have to read that word. If you are born again, regenerated, then you are in him, living in him. His words are his character. If his characters live in me, I can live, I can ask anything. If the word is his character, 
then how do I get his word in me? You got to spend time. I'm a true believer in that, man. I believe when people first come to Christ, I think they need instruction. I think the instruction is read the Gospels. I think go right to the word. Everybody wants to start reading from Genesis on. By the time you get the numbers or Leviticus, you're going to be worn down. I can't read this no more. Somebody give me something else to read. Numbers will wear you out. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but you get into the gospel and learn about how Christ loved us. Man, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. You say, he really went through that for me? He really did that? The teachings, astonishing. And then um, you get into the epistles, the letters to the churches. You want the mind of Christ? You want to grow up in God, you go to the epistles, you go to the letters to the churches because it's direct. It's saying this is how you grow in God because we learn about Christ's love and why we should follow him over here. But we make the choice to follow him in the epistles, in the letters to the churches. Okay, we're almost done. Praise the Lord. What what the time look like, Kenrick? All right. Says, first of all, can he trust you with trouble? Now we really know if we're a disciple of Christ. All that has, all everything we just read has come, that's how we identify if we're really disciples or if we're walking to become a disciple or if, we're, if we are in discipleship. When we know a disciple, we, we, God wants to know if he can trust us with his trouble. So it says, oh, we can trust him. This is us until trouble comes. But can he trust us? Trust means this. To lean and rely on. We're leaning and relying on his integrity, his strength, his confidence, and his future. It means to flee from our own protection that we know. That's how we know if we're trusting in him. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Can Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit, can he trust you? Can Jesus trust you to lean on and hold on to his word? Can he trust us to do that in our hard time? Can he trust us to hold on to his word that he gave us? Can he rely on you? <laughs> oh, man, this is all. Oh, man, we know what relying on. Can he rely on us to hold on to his word in that hard time? Can he rely on us? Because there's going to be a kingdom manifestation when you do. And it's not just for you. It's for those that are around you that are watching, that are observing unknowingly and knowingly. Can he rely on you to do it so they can experience God at a new level? And can he have confidence in you as you move with his word when trouble comes? The question, the question those are good questions, but the answer should be yes. The word says, heaven and earth will fade away, but my word will remain forever. So the scripture says, when you get born again through the regenerated spirit, the word is already written on your heart. The spirit knows all things, but it's the soul, which is who we are. It's these functions right here. Does that have the word? And when you think about that, we know where our spirit's going when we die. But where's our soul going to go? It's that heaven and earth will fade away, but his word will remain forever. So if the word is not here, will this remain forever? It's a renewing process. It's not something we have to accomplish in a day. Jesus lived the earth for 33 and a half years. The first 30 years, he was in time. He was learning God's precept. He was 100% man, 100% God, but he was learning God in those 30, 30 years. And when his time came in the season, he was walking. God was able to trust him in trouble. Isn't that amazing? It said Jesus learned obedience through suffering. That's revelation. How could the Savior learn obedience? He was perfect in all his ways. Did not commit a sin. It's amazing to me. So think if Christ had to learn obedience through suffering, what do we have to do? And he already marked it out for us. So the suffering that we shall walk into should not be great like his. We just partake of it. We just partake of it. And the only way we partake of the suffering and not fellowship with it, the pain, the agony, the suffering, is get in relationship with him because he's already bared it all. It's when we're not in relationship with him that we feel that pain, the overwhelming pain, the agony, the suffering. But you get, you get girded up under him. 
He's already walked it. So he's going to allow you to feel just a little bit to show you that this is real, that I am the God of love, that I am the savior of the world. But he's not going to let you experience it for very too long if you decide to choose him in his words and in relationship. So that's the teaching for today. I think that was pretty awesome. <laughs> I got one page. I say, yes, I think I can do one page, Lee. <laughs> God is good. Do y'all have any questions? Any comments? I'm hoping I can get up here more. I'm telling you, man. This, yes, ma'am. You were so young when you accepted. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was in a youth in Germany. My mom worked for the army. She wasn't in the army. Um, so we moved to Germany. My dad was a pastor, and my dad's father was a pastor. My dad stopped speaking in the church when I was eight. So from eight to fifteen. Um, I wasn't a bad kid. I was a pretty good kid. But, you know, what kids do that don't know Christ. They dabble in all these different things. So I went to Germany. I saw a whole nother world. I, I lived in Savannah before that. So I don't know if y'all remember how Savannah was maybe 20 years ago or 10 years ago. I'm 27. About 13 years ago. I was in middle school. So I saw things I never saw before in Germany. And um, I got involved with a youth group. By the grace of God, because you can get into some trouble in Germany. You, you can get into some mess. You, all you have to do is be able to look over a counter, and you can get alcohol. You can buy cigarettes out of vending machine. Um, <laughs> it's all a test from God. But um, I got involved with the shoot group. I didn't. I took it serious because I was already, you know, I grew up kind of around it, but I didn't take it like for real. I was a believer in Christ, but not a follower of Christ. So I went to this youth group camp. It was in Italy. So we traveled from Germany to Italy. It was a club beyond group. We went there and I was just in all this mess. I did not care about what they were talking about. It was just wild. I didn't care. It was just there to have fun. So I came back and I remember sitting in the bathroom. And I think I might've told this before, but I was just like, God, I don't want to do these things anymore. I don't even know what came over me. I guess, you know, I, it was a, a later effect of conviction after hearing the truth. Cause you could sit in the truth you won't be listening, but you can hear it. Um, I was just like, God, I don't want to, I don't want to live this life anymore. I really want to change. And what kind of made me want to change is I wanted to experience God's goodness. I wanted to lose weight. I, I struggled with my weight as a child. And I was like, man, I was touching the rim at 220 pounds at 5'11. I said, if I lost like 20 pounds, I'll probably be able to dunk in ninth grade. So I was like, let me see if I can lose some weight. And then God was like, I invited God in every time. I said, Lord, I invite you in this workout. And that's when I lost all that weight. And then I got real serious with God. I said, wow, he changed me. I knew it was him. It could have been nobody else. It was nobody else. Um, so I decided because I saw the experience that I was having with choosing God. And, you know, it was already embedded in me. I believe everyone is called when, when they're born. It's just kind of the influences you deal with through birth and through your growing up. It kind of dictates your, your walk with God or when you kind of encounter Christ. Um, but after that youth thing, which was, I look back and see how instrumental it was because God put me around people that I could relate to, but who had a relationship with God. And um, after I lost that weight, everything in my life changed. I always talk about this. Every girl wanted to be my sister. I like girls. And it's like, oh, I don't, I don't like you like that. I kind of see you as a brother because I was a chubby dude. <laughs> I was so mad. I, I lost all this weight. Every girl wanted to be my girlfriend. <laughs> Everybody. So I was like, oh, okay, I see how this is. And um, but what kind of influenced me to give my life so early was my experience with them. And I tell I, I had an experience with God in the basement. Um, I was working for this company that issues military equipment. And we had this guy that was just talk, talking to us about Jesus, that he was an older dude that just came out of the army and he experienced the Iraq war and all that stuff. And he was just talking to us, but again, I wasn't even like paying attention, but it was going in. And he was like, you're going to have an experience with God. And it's going to overtake you and it's going to bring you to your knees and you're going to be crying. I was like, man, whatever, dude. I, went, I ain't want to hear it. This man not even at work. He's not even at work that day. And I go down these, it's like, you remember they had all these basements and the Nazi and all this different stuff. I go down into the storage room. And as I'm walking in there, I get about 200 feet in the basement. And I just feel the presence. I don't even know what the presence of God is. I just feel it. Come on me. And, you know, the first thing you try to do is fight it like, oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And I'm trying not to go to my knees. 
man, all I can remember in my head is you're going to feel them and you're going to cry and you're going to come to your knees, man. That, it was like one wave hit me and I was like leaning on this, this car like, oh my God, what is this? And then it hit me again. I just went to my knees and I started bawling. That wasn't it. I went upstairs. I did what I needed to do downstairs. I went upstairs. I came. They sent me back downstairs. It happened to me twice in the same spot. And I just left everything. I ran upstairs. I was crying. I saw one of my friends working in another place. I wouldn't even show her my face. I'm like boo-hooing. And um, my boss was like, what happened to you, CJ? What happened? Somebody messing with you? I was just like, no, 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 no. I just, I just felt God. I just experienced God. And she was like, she was like, wow, that's awesome. You want to go talk to your mom? So my mom was across the street. I went to her office and she called my dad all the way in the United States. And my dad was like, CJ, this is a day you want to remember. This is something beautiful. This is something awesome. You know, that you had an experience with God and um, you should hold on to that. And then my brother was like, man, I really wish what you could have felt. I really wish I could have felt what you did. And we're both were around him and stuff like that. And that's what had me. And then I always tell people, because people want to challenge you in your relationship. Well, how do you know God's real? How do you know this? How do you know that? Why do you believe? A lot of times, it's, you know, people go to the word. But it's the experience is why I believe. Nobody could take that away from me. People can try to debate the word all day, but they can't, they can't debate something you've experienced. So that's what kind of got. It was a wrap. I started experiencing God. It was over with. They didn't change me. But what happened was, because, you know, we all have that, that, that first test to choose God or to choose Satan's realm. And I was growing in God, but I didn't have mentorship, strong mentorship, because I was just a strong kid. Like, I believe what I believed in. It was hard for people to kind of change what I believe. And um, my first test came. Mind you, I went from everybody wanted to be my sister to everybody wanted to be my girlfriend. And I met my ex-wife. I thought, okay, she's kind of cute. I wasn't really interested in her. Um, but she was interested in me, and she chased me down. Chased me down, man. I fought as hard as I could, but that word was not, it was abiding in me, but I wasn't abiding in that word. And I got sucked out. And it took me 10 years to get back to God. Isn't that amazing? One choice led me 10 years away. And then I didn't get back until I was 25, walking in this door for sonship. It's amazing. 10 years. But God, he's a redeemer of time. You wouldn't have known that I haven't been walking with God for the last 15 years or 12 years. Because in, in two and a half years time, it's like I'm right back in track with what God was doing. You know, I got ordained. I got married. Everything in my life changed. The moment I decided to become a disciple, I decided to be not only be a believer, but a follower. And that really is laying aside everything. When it talks about hating your mother, your father, your family, everything like that, that's a true statement. Because we grow up with parents. We grow up with our brother and their beliefs. We're not saying that it's wrong, but Christ is about to start teaching you. And when he teaches you, his revelation is going to be contrary to the world's way of seeing things. That's just the truth. And you know that because I always say family is buffer. Once you start moving in God, you're going to see who has a real relationship with Christ. You are. That's the bottom line. You get in a place like this that has revelation and you start pressing in God, every enemy through thought that's in a family member or a close person is going to come out because the light is shining on you and you are exposing it unknowingly and they're going to attack you and they're going to say things but you can't hold on to that you have to move past it and not even acknowledge it because what christ is doing in you is for them and they don't even know it so you just love so you really do have to lay everything aside and you can learn it the easy way or you can learn it the hard way that he gives us a choice. Each way leads to life and peace. <laughs> but some of it hurts. And then if you're not really choosing God, you fall into Satan's realm. And I'll, I'll kind of leave it at this unless I have some more questions. I was reading the book of Job, and it's amazing to me how Job was a righteous man in God's eyes. And he still allowed Satan to have hold on some of the parts of his life. Knowing that Job was mostly righteous. Before Christ came in that time, don't you think God's going to test us with Satan? He's going to sometimes let the snake get in to test what word is in you, to test your true love for him. If he did it for a righteous man, and you know sometimes we can really be unrighteous, don't you think he's going to do it for you? But it's only so we can grow to know him more. We can grow to trust him more. 
God is no respecter of person. The things he'll do for me, he'll do for you. That doesn't only apply to blessings. <laughs> That's the truth. He wants everybody to grow up. He doesn't want us to be babies forever. He wants us to grow into adulthood. Because each person in here has an assignment with a multitude of people. And what I mean by that, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll get up and you'll speak to millions or you will speak to thousands. You can speak to one person, three people, five people. And those people may be a person to go speak to millions. Those people may be a person to speak to another one. And that one person go speak to the multitudes. We all have an assignment. We all do. I'm no greater than nobody. I'm just a person who had no choice anymore but to follow Christ. Every way I chose failed me. And I came to the complete end of myself because I saw my life down spiraling really fast. And then you start like, oh, my, what, okay, what am I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then, you know, you go back to something you know. Okay, I know Christ. He did it before. He'll do it again. Unknown. It's the wildest thing. And if you don't know that experience with Christ, he's going to use something to draw you to him. I laugh because it's the business over here. Or sometimes, you know, <laughs> I could be at Walmart, man, and I'll start talking to somebody about marriage. About how God has a spouse for somebody or he has a spouse for you. And he said, well, why do you believe that? I said, I just know what, you know, you never know what he's going to do. And through that, they can experience a love through knowledge, new knowledge they're gaining and new experience or new revelation to believe in the God who lives and not in the God who is dead. Okay. Any more questions? Thank you. God is excellent, man. I love him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't did I even answer the question, right? <laughs> God, see, the word says that for who he it's in Peter, I think I just read it last night. For who he chosen, he ordained, for he ordained, he predestined, for he predestined, he chose. For he chose. Basically it ends up us being glorified. So in all things, in all things, we are already chosen. We will be glorified. And the glorifying that will be is in him. It's all about him, man. It's, it's not even about us no more. It's not even about us. So I'll pray and we'll be done. We got an early night. Praise the Lord. We just, Lord, we just honor you. We love you. Uh, we thank you that your word went forth, Lord, and your word says that when the word goes forth, it will not return void. I ask you that tonight you put a new heart, a heart of flesh in each individual's heart in every area. Allow them to become true disciples, true followers of you, the one true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, our high priest who is always interceding for us. I ask tonight that you are revealed, that they'll go home and they'll receive a new hunger, a new thirst for word and this thing called worship. And allow this worship to change them, to purify them, and to not allow them to go back to the places where darkness reigns. But allow that light to come forth to change every area of their life. I love you that you have chosen me and that you have chosen them to bear fruit and to bear fruit that you can be glorified, God. So in this, we give you all honor, all praise. We love you with all our heart, mind and strength. And today you are our king in Jesus name. Amen.